Kind of weird, huh, church? Doing a little bit of this air bumping thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, wow. Interesting, interesting week. Yes? And you're here. Thank you, Lord, that you are here. And we know why many are not here, and we certainly do not in any way take away from their decision to not be here today for for those reasons of safety and health and all of that. But really an interesting week for us. Last Sunday when we parted company, I don't think any of us had any idea really where we would be here today. And, uh, and yet here we are. We've been faithful to try to communicate through email and Facebook to let you know uh, some of the practical changes and uh, precautions that we're taking here with regards to this virus threat. And uh, who knows, this week may bring down more uh, rules from uh, either from at the federal or the state level. And uh, group size might be limited to such a degree that we would not be even able to meet next Sunday. And we'll just have to wait and see. Um, that's a story yet to be written. But we do get to meet today. So... And you know, church family, as you dial into the news and all of that, you're aware that um, on Friday, uh, our president uh, made a declaration. And that declaration was that today, March the 15th, would be a national day of prayer. Uh, We were going to be going in a different direction. We were going to begin to turn our thoughts towards preparing for Easter and uh, so we were going to be spending time in Isaiah 53 for the next few weeks, and and uh, I was totally prepared on Friday for that to be the case. Uh, insert readies, PowerPoint all ready to go and everything, but then uh, the president issues this, um, this national declaration, and uh, so um, we decided we needed to honor that. We need to honor our president and, and his request to us, and so... Um, here we are, and I, I just want to—I want to say thank you, Lord, that we would have a president who would call us to pray. You know, it may not be that much longer, church family, before that will not happen again. And so, the fact that it did happen uh, is a great encouragement to us, and uh, creates a great opportunity for us to respond and to respond in a prayerful way today. And intercede for um, for our church family, for the community of Idlewild, for the larger community of our state and our nation, and even the world. And so, you have a little insert page that was in your bulletin, and I would ask you to draw that out if you wouldn't mind. Uh, you may want to have your Bibles handy. We're going to put a, a scripture up on the screen here for you in just a minute, but you also have it right there on that insert page. Horatio Spafford wrote this wonderful hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, without question one of the great hymns of the faith. And although the words are rich and powerful in their own right, they become even more so when we are made aware of the circumstances out of which this song was born. And if you've been around the church for a while, you know the story behind this song, but but some of you might not. Spafford was a man of deep spiritual conviction with a passion to see other people coming to know the Lord Jesus. And as a result, he was tirelessly involved 
in the ministry of D.L. Moody, the pastor and evangelist who worked in Chicago in the middle 1800s. He arranged for a trip to England with his wife and four daughters that would coincide with a major evangelistic campaign that Moody was conducting in England. And at the last minute, there was pressing business that came up and required that Horatio remain behind for a short time. So he determined that he would send his wife and his daughters on ahead by ship, and he would follow a few days later. Well, out on the icy seas of the North Atlantic in late November, the ship that his family was traveling on collided with another vessel in the night. And so violent was this collision that the Spafford's family ship sank in just 12 minutes. Survivors were plucked from the icy waters, transported to England, where Mrs. Spafford sent her husband a two-word telegram which read, Saved Alone. All four of their daughters were drowned in that accident. Well, Spafford departed for England immediately on the very next ship to be with his grieving wife. Near the place, the exact place where the ship carrying his family had gone down, Spafford wrote the words to the hymn that we just sang. When sorrows like sea billows roll, he said. You talk about a vivid word picture to describe the heart of this man. And yet despite his loss, the deep grief and, and, and sorrow that he was feeling, he continues, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You know, from a human perspective, it is impossible to comprehend how anyone could feel such tragedy and still say, peace like a river attendeth my way. It is well with my soul. Obviously, fellow Christians, such words can only come after you have served a long apprenticeship in faith's classroom where God and his word are well known to you and his great faithfulness has been seen in your life through other seasons of tragedy and loss and hardship. Now, history has not handed down to us the chapters or the verses that Horatio Spafford perhaps ran to during this terrible time in his life. But I have to believe that from out of the arsenal of the truth of God's word, and what it supplies to Christians in all seasons of life, one of the places that Horatio Spafford had to have gone to as he was perhaps on this ship and out at the very place where the collision took place, one of the places he would have had to go would have been the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians that the Apostle Paul wrote there under the inspiration of the Spirit. The two verses from that chapter that perhaps were part of the consolation and comfort that Horatio Spafford received from God's word. These two verses, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which are there on your note page up on the screen as well. Can we read these together, church family, right off the screen? Would you do that with me? Let's do it. Do not be anxious about anything 
But in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we say, Amen and Amen. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter of Philippians from a prison in Rome. He has been unjustly robbed of his freedom. He's been placed under house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier night and day. And for at least two years now, this has been his situation. He's waiting for his day in court with the verdict of life or death hanging in the balance. And he doesn't know really which way it will go. And all of this because he has been faithful to proclaim the truth of salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's a tough time in his life, persecution, uncertainty, possibility of death for Paul, all of the kindling needed to start a fire of anxiety and fear and worry and despair in the heart of, of any Christian. And yet Paul, under the inspiration of God's spirit, counsels, do not be anxious about anything. Anxious. That seems to be Paul's catchword for all of the thoughts and emotions that we feel in the difficult times of our lives. The Greek word that Paul uses here for anxious is actually a word that means to be pulled in different directions. You can imagine that like silly putty. You're being pulled in all kinds of directions. That's an accurate description of what anxious and uncertain times and circumstances do or potentially can do within us. It's, you feel like you're being pulled apart. Do not be pulled apart by anything, Paul says. It's not a suggestion. It's a direct imperative. But how? How do we not do that? How are we who are in Jesus to confront life's anxiety-producing times? Well, verse 6 goes on to say, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, that first word, prayer, is kind of a general word in the Bible for people talking to God. But when it's used, the idea of adoration or worship or reverence or awe for who God is, is noticeably present in that word. So it's no accident Paul chooses this word first in his instructions to the Philippians and to us. Because our natural tendency in distress-filled, uncertain times is to cry out to God and, and to begin immediately to simply start asking him for things, to, to really to blow into his throne room and just kind of dump our truck, right? That's what we do. Unfortunately, it is what we do. But this word prayer is reminding us that that's not the way that it should be. Do not be anxious. Instead, come before the Lord and, in effect, worship him. Be captivated again by the majesty and the greatness of the one who you're talking with. Don't just come in there and, and start, bleh, all your stuff. When anxiety threatens, worship and praise and adore, reverence and extol God. Pray. And then Paul uses a second word to describe this dialogue between us and 
God, while in the throes of anxiety, it's the word petition or supplication, maybe your version says. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition. This Greek word's true meaning has to do with being honest and earnest and, and intense when you pray. Asking something of God with, a, with really an honest spiritual intensity, even an aggressiveness, being bold. Here there's no wasted words, church. No needless repetition as if we say the same thing over and over and over. Somehow that improves our chances of God answering our request. We never do that, do we? (laughs) Here the communication between God and the anxious soul of the prayer is brutally honest. It's to the point. We say it. We lay it out in front of him. We petition him. And then notice that not... Following but commingled with the prayers and the petitions is a third element. And what is that? That's the thanksgiving, isn't it? The thanksgiving. Acknowledge God as God. Lay your anxiety generating situation out before him and do that with a grateful heart. The Holy Spirit says through Paul, God loves to hear us say thank you, doesn't he? He loves to hear that. When we pray, he loves to hear us say thank you. And when we pray with thanks, there is something good that happens within the anxious soul. It takes your eye off your circumstance and it puts us back on God, doesn't it? Thank you, Lord, in the midst of my difficulty. Anxiety-destroying prayer would have these elements. Praise and adoration, intense, honest request. And thanks to God, no matter what. Are we hearing Are we hearing the Holy Spirit here? Yeah. That's Philippians 4, 6. And let's not miss the anything and everything that's also in that verse. Bring it all, right? Bring it all to God. Don't leave anything out. We can't surprise him. We're not going to take him off guard. And we're not going to inform him of anything. Just bring it all. And then, fellow Christian, when we put into practice verse 6, it leads automatically to one of the best, greatest deals that you can find anywhere. If we will bring God our anxiety with adoration, with spiritually intense petitions mingled with copious amounts of thanks, he will take our anxiety and he will exchange it for his peace. How cool is that? It's got to be one of the greatest deals ever. My anxiety for his impossible to fathom peace. And that's exactly what verse 7 says. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Fellow Christian, on the day that we stopped trusting in ourselves and and our own efforts to get us to heaven, and and we stepped into a right relationship with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, the Bible says that in that moment when we crossed over from death to life through faith in Jesus, his death and his resurrection, at that moment we entered into a peace with God. Did you know that? A peace with God spiritually. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 1, if you need a reference. 
And when we have a peace with God, we can then through prayer have peace that is of God. We can have peace with him spiritually. We can have the peace of God in the midst of doing life. Jesus said it this way, John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. That's the peace of God. That's the peace of God. It's God's peace. It's Jesus' peace. If we are in him through faith, we have access to his peace, to his rest of soul, through this vehicle called prayer. This peace of God says, Paul, guards our hearts and our minds. That word guards is an interesting word as well. It's a Greek word for garrison. It's like a a large gathering of soldiers who are garrisoned. The peace of God garrisons the Christian's emotions, which come from the heart. It garrisons their thoughts, which come from the mind. The heart and mind are supernaturally protected, even prevented from running into anxiety-producing places. God garrisons the heart of his people with peace. How does that happen? How does it work? How is it that when we pray, God garrisons our hearts with his peace? How does that happen? I don't know. I don't know how it works. I don't think the Apostle Paul knows how it works either because he calls it a supernatural peace that transcends all human logic, understanding, or reasoning, right? That's what he says. It transcends our ability to even understand it. But God's peace does garrison, places a guard around our heart and our mind, and it protects it. It just is a promise from him to us. We don't have to understand it. We just know it's true. Does it work? I'll ask you, does it work? Do you know how it works? No, but you just know it works. Countless Christians in the past 20 centuries would say it works. Horatio Spafford would say it works. The very first line of this hymn, how did it go again? When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Church family, let's take the truth of verses 6 and 7, and let's now enter into a time of congregational prayer in the face of an international health crisis, as our president has asked us to do. Fear and anxiety should not rule this time in the hearts and minds of God's people. Certainly not in the hearts and minds of the people of Idlewell Bible Church. Not when we have access to the throne room of God through this amazing thing called prayer. So I'm going to invite um, elders of Idlewell Bible Church. There are four of us. Bob Lee is out of town visiting family. But I'm going to invite Wayne and Lance, if they would come up to the front now with me. I'll ask you to have that that insert page handy. And we are going to work through a number of points of prayer focus here together. And Lance and and Wayne are going to uh, join me in helping us to do that. 
our expectation, our hope is that you will enter into this time with us as well, that, that you would not be afraid to voice your petitions and your prayers as uh, we gather together in this way.